And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 118. Today is December 1st of 2020, and as I look outside, it's a very gloomy day here in Michigan. Uh, But gloom is uh, relative. This is a great day because we're alive. We're alive to get educated on God's Word. We're alive to change the course of our lives. We're alive to do what we have been called to do. So with that, let's continue on. We stopped in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 6 yesterday, so let's go on to chapter 7. And the subtitle says, Why Sayings? And it says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. Now, what might this mean? Um, A day of mourning or a time of mourning, we might call those funerals, right? And so uh, I find that a funeral is a time when I find myself in deep personal reflection. You know, if I knew the person, if they were... Uh, close to me, then maybe I don't do it then because I might be in a state of of extreme grief. But I find that uh, at funerals uh, is a time where I'm reviewing my life. You know, I'm taking stock of my life. What am I doing? What have I done? What am I doing currently? Am I doing what's right? Am I doing what I've been created to do? And so we find these things, um, or at least I find these things very helpful in guiding my life when I take a step back uh, from the busyness of life and, 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 and the time of day and whatever is, is happening at that point in time, I take a step out of my life, step back, and evaluate the totality of it. And what, what am I doing? Am I, Lord, am I just reacting to the busyness of the day? Or am I, in fact, uh, traveling down a path that is leading me towards um, what you have created me to accomplish? It says in verse 3, Grief is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, our heart may be glad. The heart of the wise <clears throat> is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. See? So the heart of the wise is in a house of mourning. And so, like I was saying before, in a, in a funeral uh, situation, when we're, when we're in that grief, when we're mourning, we're, uh, most people, I think, really take that time not only to try and address their grief, but to, to evaluate things ask themselves some important questions, you know, to take some time out from the busyness of their schedules and say, okay, what's going on here? Am I just being busy for the sake of being busy? Or am I doing things that really amount to nothing? Or am I doing things that are going to have some type of eternal value? Fools just seek pleasure. They don't think about anything else. They're just seeking pleasure. They don't think about their lives, the purpose of their lives. If, if it's not fun, if it doesn't feel good, I don't want to be involved with it. That's foolish thinking. Verse 9, don't let your spirit rush to be angry, for angry abides in the hearts of fools. See, when you're angry, you can't think straight. You can't think right. You're just angry. <laughs> you know. And anger allows a person to just go off course. You know, they, just go, they just go wrong. Because they can't think, they can't rationalize. There is no, there's no contemplation. They're just reaction. It's animalistic almost. Verse 10, don't say why were the former days better than these, since it is not wise of you to ask this. What does that mean? This means that, that people are living in the past. You know, that's what that means. It says don't live in the past. You can't do anything about it anyway. And sometimes I catch myself doing this. My later high school days, early college days, college days, 
you know, I played high school and professional, not professional, I played high school and collegiate basketball. And my body was much different than it is now. I was somewhat athletic. And, and um, you know, I could leap. I could do things that I can't do today. And sometimes I find myself rewinding my mind, going back to those days. But in doing that, I'm discounting the present days. And I'm saying that the future is going to be even worse than the present. Who's to say that your more glorious days aren't in the future? You know, Moses didn't become Moses as we know him until he was 80 years old. Then he started to enter his prime. <laughs> you know, praise God. But in our culture, we think differently, right? We think the older you get, the more useless you get. Instead of the more useful you should, and the more youthful, excuse me, the more useful you should be because you have a more wisdom now, or at least you should have more wisdom now. You should have more knowledge. You should have more skill in life. You should be able, you should be a better teacher. You should be a better imparter. You should have more influence. That's what age and wisdom can bring. Verse 11. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance and an advantage to those who see <clears throat> the sun. Because wisdom is protection as silver is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. And so money and wisdom can both provide protection. Like money can provide security. And so that's what a lot of people see, that I need more security. But wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Wisdom can save your life. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that no one can discover anything, uh, so that no one can discover anything that will come after him. Okay. Let's go on. The next subtitle says, uh, Avoiding Extremes. It says, In my futile life, I have seen everything. Someone righteous per perishes in spite of his righteousness, and someone wicked lives long in spite of his evil. We've all seen this, and we've all asked ourselves the question, how come this person who is a good person, who will give you the shirt off his back, how come this person has received this fate, and this person who is wicked and evil and everything else, they seem to prosper. Why is that? <clears throat> I believe the fallacy of our thinking is that we have a scale of importance. We have this scale. And on this scale are things that we consider to be important. You know, prosperity, life, so on and so forth. And we evaluate things against this scale. And if something doesn't register as good on our scale, then we think it's evil. We think it's not good. If something registers as bad on our scale, then we think it's evil and not good. <clears throat> the problem is God's spectrum, God's scale is different than our scale. And he evaluates things differently because he knows more than we do. So some things we, that we may consider tragic, he doesn't. And some things that we may uh, consider great, he doesn't. And so our scales are off, and so therefore we can come to different conclusions. <clears throat> Verse 16, don't be excessively righteous and don't be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? What does this mean? How can one be excessively righteous and overly wise? <laughs> you and I both know people 
who have an air about themselves. An air of what? An air of spiritual superiority. Holier than thou. And so they carry themselves in a way that is patronizing to others spiritually. And they make you feel a certain way. They make you feel that they are, that they walk on the, the, that they walk in the heavenlies. And therefore you are unable to deal with them because they are so heavenly. They are so righteous. The word says that we all fall short of the glory of God. It says no man, not one, is righteous. In other words, totally righteous. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Nobody else that has been born since the beginning of time has been 100% righteous 100% of the time. And so none of us has a right uh, to feel um, a degree of pride in their spirituality or how spiritual they think they are. You see, they're not reflecting anything or their pride in God. What they're reflecting is their pride in themselves, their pride and their belief in their superior spirituality. So that's what I mean. Don't be overly or excessively righteous. You, know, you, you can be righteous without all that stuff. See, you're just doing that. And this is much like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the New Testament that we'll get to. They would do things for the demonstration to man. They would do things so that man would notice and come to the conclusion, oh, Pharisee so-and-so, he is so righteous. He is so, he is so godly. He is so this, he is so that. And Jesus said that the uh, adulation that you get from man is all the reward that you will get because he saw through their phoniness. Verse 17, don't be excessively wicked and don't be foolish. I kind of laugh when I read this. It says, don't be excessively wicked. So that, does that mean I can be a little bit wicked? <laughs> no, that's not what that means. You know, what this is uh, dealing with is uh, avoiding to live on the extremes. Don't be on the extremes. You know, if you're following God, you know, you're just following God. You're not worrying about what your perception is amongst man. Verse 18, it says, it is good that you grasp the one and do not let the other slip from your hand. For the one who fears God will end up with both of them. There is certainly no one righteous, um, there's certainly no one righteous on the earth who does not who does good and never sins. Don't pay attention to everything people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For in your heart you know that many times you yourself have cursed others. And so we tend to always apply standards and whatnot to other people that we don't apply to ourselves. And it says, you know, you've cursed other people. So don't, don't pay attention to what other people are saying or else you're going to hear somebody curse you and then you're going to react a certain way. But you've done the same thing, you know, so don't do it. The next section says what the teacher found. In verse 23, I have tested all this by wisdom and resolved. I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. See, so Solomon's saying, what, I'm trying to find this thing called wisdom, but it's beyond me. It's, 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 it's reach is very deep. Who can discover it? Verse 25, I turn my thoughts to know, explore, and examine wisdom and an explanation for things. See, Solomon was looking to, to understand things. 
and to know that wickedness is stupidity and folly is madness. So that's one thing that he found. As he was searching the heavens and the earth for this thing called wisdom, you know, what he discovered was that um, wickedness was stupidity and folly is madness. <laughs> that was one thing. Verse 26. The next one is, in is interesting. He says, and I find more bitter than death the woman who is a trap. Hmm. Her heart a net and her hands chains. The one who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured. Uh, but the sinner will be captured by her. So we see that in Proverbs. You know there were a lot of proverbs with regard to uh, uh, extramarital affairs, with regard to um, illicit sex, with regard and and so Solomon's just continuing on that thing. And so he says, you know, wickedness I found is 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 awful basically. And to be snared by a woman or a woman to be snared by a man, that's another thing that I found uh, to be wrong, to be heinous, basically. And so he came and he searched the world for wisdom, and those are the two things that he's identifying here. I find that to be interesting. Let's go on to chapter 8, and it says, uh, Wisdom, authorities, and inequities. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. For the king's word is an for the king's word is authoritative, and who can say to him, "What are you doing?" See, so the king's word is authoritative, and nobody can say to the king, "Okay, what are you doing?" So what 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 this is saying is is talking about authorities. Now we don't have kings and whatnot, but we what we do have are laws. We have government, and so this is talking about essentially obeying government. This is talking about following laws, and it says, you know, you can't say, you know, what are you doing? You know, go to the government. You, you're doing, you've been caught doing something wrong. You can't and say, okay, what are you doing? No, you've been, caught, you, you've been caught doing something wrong. And it says in verse 5, the one who keeps a command, or we could say the one who keeps a law, will not experience anything harmful. Hmm. And a wise heart knows the right time and procedure. So if you've been caught doing something wrong, and you know you've been doing something wrong, you know, you need to address that. You need to address that uh, in the proper way, in the proper manner that the law has provided for you to address it. Yet in verse 7, yet no one knows what will happen because who can tell them what will happen? Nobody knows the future. It's just saying here, just look, follow the laws. Be a good citizen, follow the laws. And it says in verse 8, it says, no one has authority over the wind to restrain it, and there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle. And wickedness will not allow those to, uh, and wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. You know, once you start going down that path of wickedness, trying to get off that path, in many cases, is practically impossible. Uh, wickedness does grant some rewards. That's why people go in this direction in, in the first place. And so, if you practice wicked, wickedness and you start getting delivered onto you some benefits in life then it's going to, it, it seduces you. You know, it's like a seductress. It seduces, it pulls you in. And then for you to get off that track is, is going to require a Herculean effort. Because if you see that you can uh, gain benefit by being wicked, as opposed to being law-abiding and righteous, the average person is going to stay on that path of wickedness. Verse 10, in such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city 
where they did those things. So Solomon said, look, I've seen this. I've seen these wicked people do just disastrous things, and they come and go from the holy place, um, and they were praised in the city where they did those things. Uh, now, what does that mean? It means that he's seen people live a wicked life. He's seen people then pass away and die. And then the people at the funeral, if you will, come and praise them and the set and the other. You know, we've all been there. We've all been to a funeral where somebody has died, but when they were alive, they did some pretty ratchet things. They did some pretty wrong things, but you only hear the glowing reports at the funeral. And Solomon says, this too is futile. You know, this is meaningless. In verse 11, it says, because the sentence against the evil act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with the desire to commit evil. Because the sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly, the heart of people is filled with desire to commit evil. Because there's not swift justice, then it just encourages people to go out there and be wild and to do whatever they want. Because they don't feel that even if they're caught, they're going to pay a significant penalty, it encourages them to just continue to, uh, to, to, to involve themselves in evil acts. You know, and we all know this to be true. Verse 12, although a sinner does uh, evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people. See, although a sinner does uh, evil a hundred times and prolongs it life, his life, so it seems like the sinner is benefiting from his sin, Solomon is saying, I also know it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. Verse 13, however, it will not go well with the wicked and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow for they are not reverent before God. God has his own timing. God sees what's going on. He doesn't need us to tell him. He knows what's going on and they will get theirs. It's not up to you. It's up to him. It's his world, his universe. He created the rules. <clears throat> Verse 14, there's a futility that is done on earth. There are righteous people who get, what, uh, who get what the actions of the wicked deserve, and there are wicked people who get what the actions of the righteous deserve. I say that, too, is futile. We've seen it. Like I said before, people do wicked things that we, that we think should be, and get paid for it, that we think the righteous should be paid for. They should be the ones getting these benefits. And then we've seen the righteous get handed stuff that we feel the wicked should get. You know, and so we ask this question, why, Lord, why? See? <clears throat> but again, the Lord says, vengeance be mine, not yours, mine. What we have to do is have faith and trust that he, in fact, is going to execute his judgment. Verse 15, so I commended um, enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat drink and enjoy himself for this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. And so, you know, again, what Solomon is saying here is don't ignore the pleasures of life. The Bible in the word does not say you are not to be, uh, not to enjoy the pleasures of life because God created these things. The, the question is, and the issue is, uh, what are you going to follow? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to make these things, these pleasures of life, idols in your life? Are you going to pursue them above all else? 
Or are you going to commit yourself to the Lord? Are you going to commit yourself to God and live life according to how he has designed it? And there is a false uh, understanding that, um, in my opinion anyway, that uh, you know, life according to God is to be drudgery, is to be painful, is to be poor, is to be all of these things that we don't want to have anything to do with, basically, and that it's no fun. And no, 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 no. The Lord allows us to enjoy his pleasures. He has created them. He just wants us to keep things, things in their proper perspective. Verse 16, when I played my mind, oh, excuse me, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on earth, even though one's uh, eyes do not close in sleep night or day, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. In other words, we're unable to comprehend this thing called life in its totality. We don't, we, we, we may have a comprehension and an understanding uh, of what we're to do, but in the big picture, you know, that only God knows man doesn't know. Even though a person labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know, he is unable to discover it, it being this whole thing called life. You know, you, you, you can search and search and search, and you're going to have more questions than answers because only God has all the answers. He's given us enough, though, that we know or we should know what it is we are to do in this life. And the, thing, and the things that we don't understand, we just move forward with in faith. And with that, I think we are going to conclude for today. We only cover two chapters here. Ecclesiastes is so rich and it has so much in it. Uh, and I find myself hard not um, skipping some things. So we're going over practically entire chapters. Uh, but with that, we will continue on tomorrow. We'll pick it up in uh, chapter nine. Everybody have a wonderful day. Bye bye now.